I'm Derek Thompson, the host of The Ringer podcast, Plain English. Look, a lot of news these days is kind of nonsense. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. I'm just trying to ask the questions that matter from people who know more than I do about everything I'm curious about. And that's most things. Recession fears, AI hyperbole, psychology, productivity, China, war, streaming, movies, sports, you name it. The world without jargon, the news without bias. Plain English with Derek Thompson. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Hi, I'm Tara Palmieri. I'm Puck's senior political correspondent, and this is Somebody's Gotta Win. I am still in New Hampshire. I'm on the ground talking to voters. I'm talking to strategists for the campaigns. I'm talking to supporters, trying to get the inside scoop ahead of the primary next week. It's next Tuesday, right? Now, things are not looking as good for Nikki Haley anymore. I came to New Hampshire thinking it was going to be a real fight between Trump and Nikki Haley, like possibly between five points. The latest polls, not as good. And that's possibly because she didn't come in a second place finish in Iowa. I think there was a lot of hope that she would have a gust of momentum coming in New Hampshire. And that didn't really happen. Instead, the latest St. Anselm poll shows Trump at 52 points, Nikki at 38 points, and DeSantis at six points. CNN had a poll before Chris Christie dropped out that showed Nikki Haley within seven points of Donald Trump. Obviously, this is much different. Another poll shows her within 16 points of Donald Trump, a Suffolk University poll. It has Trump at 50 points, Haley at 34%, and DeSantis at five points. So it's not looking as good for Nikki Haley. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to an event for hers tomorrow just to get a feel for the enthusiasm on the ground. But I got to say, I'm not meeting a ton of Nikki Haley fans. And I'm in Nashua, New Hampshire. I'll give it a try, though. I'll look for them. But really, the thing we need to talk about right now is the five percentage points that Ron DeSantis will get next week in New Hampshire. It's embarrassing, right? He will suffer another humiliating loss in New Hampshire. This is after spending $200 million in Iowa to get 20 points less than Donald Trump, right? So now he's heading into another state that he won't win, and he has no path forward after that. I can't name a state that he will win. 
I mean, okay, his team says the U.S. Virgin Islands. Yeah, sure, fine. It's kind of like how Mike Bloomberg spent $500 million on his 2020 Democratic presidential campaign to only win the American Samoa Islands. But his team says we're focused on South Carolina. Not to win South Carolina, but to help Trump win South Carolina and kill off Nikki Haley in her home state. The thinking is that she'll be out of the race. And then there'll be a one-on-one between Ron DeSantis and Donald Trump. Although I don't actually see Ron DeSantis winning any of the states on Super Tuesday. And his team has not told me that he has not given me the name of a state that he will win. Okay. And then the next week is Florida, where Trump is set to beat him two to one. He's going to stay on for that. I mean, if anything, what we've learned from Marco Rubio in 2012 is that you don't want to stay on until your own home state where you get pummeled. Marco Rubio lost Florida to Trump in 2016, and he's no longer a viable candidate for president. He's a senator, sure, but, you know, it really hurt his political capital. So, you know, there are people around DeSantis that worry that he's hanging on for too long. Sure, there are some who say, oh, well, Trump has his legal issues and he might be forced out of the race. And then, you know, DeSantis will be there looking strong and poised to be the leader of the party, saying he's got the most delegates because he stayed on, even if he just comes in second. Yeah, I don't see Donald Trump dropping out of the race because of legal problems. Donald Trump is in the race because of his legal problems. (laughs) And Ron DeSantis is 45. He's young. He needs to be thinking about his future. He could be a senator. He could be the president of a right-wing think tank if he plays his cards right. I mean, if he drags this out forever, he could fade into political oblivion, uh, much like John Kasich. I mean, if you look back to that election in 2016, Ted Cruz is still relevant. His endorsement of Donald Trump on Tuesday still mattered because he dropped out of the race when he was still winning states. So, you know, Ron DeSantis has to be careful. The worst thing in politics is being irrelevant. The worst thing is to be ignored. For a short period of time, the media will ask him, why are you in the race? What are the numbers? Show me the math. And he won't be able to do that. And then the media will start ignoring him. Because between next week, New Hampshire primary, and South Carolina, it's a whole month. That's a political lifetime. How do you keep media attention for that long? I mean, I I just, I don't see how it's going to happen. But he's defiant. That's Ron DeSantis. That's who he is. And his team is the same. They're not backing down, even if it means spending millions more. We'll see what happens with Ron DeSantis. But I think in these times, you got to play your cards right because it sets you up for the rest of your career. But if you stay in too long, kind of look pathetic. You don't want your exit to be like when Mike Pence dropped out and nobody heard a sound. Well, those are my thoughts. But for today, in New Hampshire, I'm talking to a true political insider, Drew Klein. So I'm in New Hampshire, and I'm speaking to Drew Klein, who is the president of the Josiah Bartlett Center for Public Policy. It's a free market think tank in New Hampshire. And he's also the host of a morning radio talk show in New Hampshire. He's really a political insider. I got to meet Drew um, late spring when I came into town to interview the governor, Sununu. Um, And, you know, I figured Drew is a true New Hampshire insider. He's got his finger on the pulse of how this race is looking. And I guess my first question for you, Drew, is, is this a real race? Um, Maybe. How's that for an answer? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Look, uh, I mean, look, 
Sort of. Donald Trump is the Godzilla of the Republican Party, and he is um, stomped all over Iowa, and he's rampaging through New Hampshire right now. And the citizens are throwing up, you know, whatever monster that they've come up with to stop him. Um, And Mecha Godzilla did not stop him in Iowa, so they're throwing up Mothra in New Hampshire and hoping that Nikki Haley can uh, stop him. And she's got a chance. She really does have a chance of, of beating him here. But I'd say it's more in the 10 to 20% range, um, you know, the decent odds, but not great. You think 10 to 20% chance that she beats him in New Hampshire? Uh, yeah, I'm ballparking that. A recent Suffolk University poll shows, it just dropped on Wednesday, Trump at 50%, Haley at 34%, and DeSantis with only 5%. There are still 6% who are undecided. Um, and you know, that's actually a pretty sizable number, the 6% who are undecided, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or not really. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it too it's, much. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's a decent percentage of undecideds, you know, but, um, you know, the question is, how undecided are they? Like, uh, and are they undecided between, you know, Trump and uh, DeSantis, or are they undecided between Haley and DeSantis? Uh, probably Haley and DeSantis, but, you know, people are quirky. Yeah. But I kind of look at it this way, like the the Trump people are very emotionally committed to Trump. They are all in Um, the the folks who are still kind of making up their minds are probably, you know, between the other two. And, you know, if they all go to Haley, what does that get her? You know, she's at 40 percent to to almost 50, you know, so that's kind of where you are. Okay, so we know that in the history of the Iowa caucus, New Hampshire primary schedule, never have they chose the same winner, right? (laughs) I don't think so. Um, Not in modern times. Um, Really? They've never chose. Yeah, yeah, they've never chose the same winner, right? uh, Yeah, I mean, honestly, I just don't recall going looking back. um, I'm I'm so kind of focused on this race, but it's not often that we that the winners are the same when they're not when there's not an incumbent. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I think I read something that said it's like not not since like the 1970s have Iowa and New Hampshire chosen the same winner. Yeah, yeah. And so typically, you know, because they're different states for crying out loud. You know, Iowa is very Midwest, very uh, culturally conservative, and New Hampshire is not. And so, you know, they, they don't line up the same way. But in 2016, New Hampshire delivered Trump his first win after he was, um, you know, defeated by Ted Cruz in Iowa. Explain to me though, like, what's Trump's appeal in in New Hampshire? I I went to Castro's, which you know I'll admit it's a cigar bar, <laughs> bunch of dudes. Of course, yeah. they're all going to be Trump lovers. But of the twelve guys I spoke to, only one of them said he would vote for Haley, and it was because he thought that Trump would get convicted. Um, but I'm just sort of wondering, like, what's Trump's appeal up here? Um, I know it's a libertarian, more libertarian leaning state, live free or die. Um, but I don't know. It just well, I mean, it so seems like I it's more at, educated, and it's it's it a is different. more educated. Although we're we're pretty close in education level to Iowa, um, but look, Trump's Trump. Yeah, I mean, we generally, as a as a ruler, have a higher education level in New Hampshire than uh, the average in the country. <clears throat> the the thing about New Hampshire primary on the Republican side is uh, you see a lot of outsiders, a lot of insurgents, sort of. Um, doing really well in New Hampshire. And Trump fits that mold in a broad picture kind of way. You know, he's 
anti-establishment. He is outsider. He's, um, you know, New Hampshire is not the kind of place where you get a lot of um, people who are sort of your country club Republicans, right? There, there's some of those, but uh, that's not New Hampshire, really. And so there's a lot of appeal to... You're the rebels? My, of the of New England, yeah, we really <laughs> are. And so, uh, you know, there's a lot of folks wearing flannel and drinking maple syrup. And so, there's not, you know, uh, it, it's not a little bit more lumberjack than uh, country club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much. And um, you know, a lot of guys wearing hoodies. And you know, it's a, the, Trump, the Trump crowd overlaps here. The John McCain stuff. You know, I mean, look, New Hampshire is is less culturally conservative. The Republican Party in New Hampshire is uh, pro-choice, like uh, on the margins. Like, so it's not a, a Southern party; it's not a Midwestern party. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of appeal to somebody who comes in and says, "I am not part of your Republican Party elite, your establishment, your coastal elite. I'm I'm not in that crowd. You know, I represent uh, a more working class." kind of vibe. And um, very much when you get into issues of trade and immigration, <clears throat> um, there's a big appeal in New Hampshire for Trump's message on um, getting control of the border, um, doing more uh, protectionism. You know, uh, that that's pretty big in large, large chunks in New Hampshire. So the, the message appeals, uh, there's an overlap, I'll put it this way. You know, to win uh, at a presidential level, you got to have um, a message that resonates with a large group of people and his message resonates. And then you have to emotionally engage them and excite them. And he does that as well. So he's got that overlap. And you look at his competitors and even if like DeSantis, they line up a lot on the policy and the message, there's no emotional appeal. There's no, there's none of the, that, Hey, you know, we feel like you're one of us. We culturally connect with you. DeSantis doesn't have that. Haley has that for certain pockets of New Hampshire. And I think that's what you're seeing. Uh, but it's not... What pockets are those? Um, that more sort of Northeastern Republican that is more in the line of the Bush family, <laughs> sort of... Yeah, um, you know, traditionalist. Yeah, sort of, you know, the, the knock on Haley that she's a uh, liberal is just not true. Like, if you look at her policies, she lines up as somebody who would be quite conservative uh, 20, 30 years ago. In the 80s, 90s, early 2000s, she fits in. Even the arguably piece. more conservative than Trump in some ways, in terms oh, sure. of like I Social mean, Security and Medicare. Right. She is the, the type of Republican where she leads in her events in New Hampshire with spending is out of control. I'm going to get that under control right away. The entitlements, the runaway spending, fiscal responsibility, she leads with that, which used to be normal in New Hampshire, in the Republican Party. That's not as normal as it is anymore. Mm. Right, right. Uh, it's it's interesting to see that she's sort of appealing to independents, but I think that could just be a protest vote against Trump, right? Well, it's who are those independents, right? So if you look at the Republican Party in New Hampshire, but also all around the country, you know, parties have shrunk because a certain portion of their former members have said, I'm not comfortable with everybody else who's now a member of this party. So I'm going to not associate myself with membership in this club anymore, but I mostly align with its principles or what I conceive of its principles being. So there's a large chunk of the independents in New Hampshire who vote Republican all the time, but they're low tax, limited government conservatives 
And they're not culture war conservatives. They don't necessarily get really excited about immigration, uh, certainly not protectionism. You know, they're probably more affluent, more upper middle class. So they're sort of engaged in a more of the tech economy and the, the global economy, if you will. So they sound like libertarians a bit to me. Well, you know, I don't think that a lot of them would be libertarians. Uh, there's some of that. New Hampshire is a lot less libertarian than I think people really think it is. Um, oh, okay. The actual hardcore libertarians are kind of a small, um, very active, very engaged, very effective group, but they're still pretty small. Right. But, yeah, and Vivek Ramaswamy seemed to kind of own them for a minute, right? It's weird. Um, Vivek really overlap. Vivek pulled more from the sort of Trump cultural conservative camp than he did the libertarians. Uh, they, there was some overlap there, but a lot of the libertarians are with DeSantis, believe it or not. That that interesting. That, that tends to line up with them um, you know, more. So that's what I've seen here. Can you explain to me why there was appeal for John McCain in 2012 in, in New Hampshire? Was he seen as a maverick? Is that why? Was it yeah, I mean, it, it, I don't know if you can give a very short explanation for the whole McCain phenomenon. There were a lot of factors there, but a big part of it was the outsider status. And the I and so I bear me out here. There's overlap between Trump and McCain, not in the way you might think, right? So Whoa. obviously they, hate, they hated each other, right? They didn't get along, but McCain was a guy who would say what he thought in the moment, right? He was lying. Didn't give a shit. Yeah. Did, right. Didn't care, right? He would say, and 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 people connected with that raw sense of, man, this guy is honest. He has, he's not BSing me. He's saying what he really feels. Even if maybe that message wasn't 100% aligned with your, what you would write down on paper as your ideological convictions. They like the presentation, the willing to buck the party. The yeah, the willing the willingness to buck the party, but the willingness to be real, so to speak, you know? Um, and so there's a lot of appeal. Um, and that same kind of appeal applies to Trump, right? He gets up there and he wings it. He says what he feels like. And, you know, it doesn't much matter to a lot of people if he's intellectually consistent, you know, if he's ideologically right. consistent. They like him. They, they feel like they can trust him. They feel like there's a real bond there. And so stylistically, and uh, on the metric of charisma, put it that way, there's a lot of overlap between the the appeal of uh, McCain and the appeal of Trump. See, I don't see Nikki Haley as being one of those candidates. I think she's really scripted. And that's probably to her detriment. Well, I, I would say if you look at Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, they their biggest problems with connecting with New Hampshire voters are that they are so intellectual. Their speeches are bullet pointed. They're very policy driven, and I like that as a policy guy. I I want you to give me your bullet pointed list of things you're going to accomplish. So that has great appeal to me. But you I'm also work for a think tank. <laughs> exactly. I'm not normal, and I keep telling this to so like the suburban college aged educated middle class voter. You know, these are people I hang out with, not exclusively, but, you know, that's people we meet and the parents, you know, in our town and all that kind of stuff at the soccer field. And, you know, they'll they'll go, boy, you know, they'll look at somebody like Trump and look, Trump's a bad example because he is weird. He's Trump. Right. But I'm, let's talk about the voters. Um, they may say somebody who um, the, the the base that a MAGA voter might you know, a lot of people who are college educated um professionals who consider themselves really sophisticated will go, well, that, 
they're so weird. Like, no, they're normal. You're the weird one. You're the one who has 16 years of schooling and education to train you to be weird and different and think of the world in different ways. You're the abnormal one. Um, you know, having an emotional reaction and, uh, um, and I don't, I'm not trying to downplay the, that MAGA is all emotional reaction. It's not. There's a lot of uh, policy overlap there. It's a movement. It's like a fervor. It's a feeling. Right, it's a movement. But, um, you know, the sort of people who come to politics from an intellectual point of view, from a policy point of view, are weird and unusual. They're, it's the smaller portion. That's not normal. And so you see DeSantis giving bullet-pointed speeches. Now, he remembers the bullet points in his head. He's not reading off a list, which is, you know, pretty impressive. But he can go for a whole hour and give you very detailed policy analysis. And meanwhile, the person in the back of the room is daydreaming. You know, they're kind of bored. You don't leave a DeSantis event uh, fired up. And you don't often leave a Haley event fired up. But I can tell you, you also, leave he just a- talks about Florida so much. I remember <laughs> seeing that when I was when I was. Well, in yeah, you got to talk about the future. New Hampshire and culture wars and Fauci, which feel like a million years ago. Yeah, well, but also. So when was the last time you heard, you've been to some of these events, how much does Ron DeSantis spend talking about his military record? Never. He never brings it up. He almost never. McCain would do rallies at VFW halls. You know, he would get all these veterans to show up for him. There's no like big veterans group. There's big biker rallies for, um, you know, DeSantis. He just doesn't talk about it at all. When there's a pretty big veterans sort of population here, you would think he would tap into that, but they're just not doing it. It's, it's weird. He also doesn't talk about his family much. <laughs> no, no. I mean, he'll mention his kids sometimes, his parenting, but it's all like in an anecdote designed to make a policy point. You know, so uh, it's just the emotional connection isn't happening with the other two. DeSantis is spends all of his time explaining. And <clears throat> that just, that doesn't work, you know, in, in, a, in a small group when you're trying to make, people want to come to an event and they want to get hot. In New Hampshire, they want to get high. They want to come to a rally and leave it feeling excited and, and fired up. And you don't get that at all from Santos. And that's a big reason why he is not doing well here. Interesting. That's a astute point that I had not really <laughs> thought about. And that's the difference between the not, an Iowa voter and New Hampshire voter, you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't really know New Iowa voters that well, but I think just in, in general, in the primary, I mean, it's, look at it this way. I, it's politics in general right now. We, I mean, look back at Obama. Obama was, when he came here, and it was all, you know, the, the we used to joke about him being a rock star, you know, doing these big, because it was, it was getting high. It was all that emotional connection. You left an Obama rally, you know, it was all about hope and getting fired up, and he wanted to emotionally light you on fire. And that's what Trump does. He's emotionally lighting you on fire. It's a different way. But you can't campaign here um with bullet points you're just not and that's politics that's not exclusive to new hampshire but um in new hampshire you have the opportunity to one-on-one you're in a room you're connecting with people you don't get that in a big state right you're not going to be able to do that in a big here's where you can do that so that's why the emotional connection matters in new hampshire because you're actually in a room with a bunch of people they want to you know make that emotional connection to you and if you can't do that well they're going to leave and eh well, he was okay, but man, that other guy really fires me up. I thought it was more the six-week abortion ban and the the wars against the corporates and all that. But you're right; I mean, that's probably matters. even more simpler than that. Yeah, it's it's simpler, I think. I mean, look, DeSantis doesn't fit um, 
culturally in New Hampshire. It's just not a good fit. Uh, Ted Cruz right. didn't fit here either, right? So there, you would put them in the same sort of category. Um, but look, people, I think, by and large, people decide that they like a candidate and then they reason backwards to justify why they like that candidate. And that's that I see that much more often than I see. Well, you do see, you see people, um, you know, analyze the policy and think about it really closely, but mostly they go and they like a candidate and then they convince themselves that they should vote for the candidate they like. I think you're right. It's a touch. It's a feel. It's a, it's a thing that's hard to explain. Right. Yeah. yeah it's human. It's, it's just human. And, and Trump, you know, whatever you think about Trump, he has a very charismatic um, mm-hmm. appeal a way to, when you get in the room with him, and I've interviewed him a couple of times, like been to the rallies, when you're in the room with Trump, he makes you feel like you are the most important person in the room. Um, there's just mm-hmm. this wild charisma and, you know, he engages and he reads the room. Like Trump and Vivek had this uncanny ability to read the room and respond in real time to the to the room, to the crowd. And Vivek did this amazingly well. I, I was at his very first event in New Hampshire. Um, he would... He would thrive off the feedback. And so if the feedback from the crowd indicated he was stepping in a direction that was uh, not where the crowd was, he could intuitively grasp that. It was really, really amazing. Not every, Yeah, great that's what Trump group. does. He poll tests. It's like a focus group. Yeah, absolutely. Throw it and, out there. He doesn't yeah. get the hits. Move on. <laughs> My, yeah. And so when, when, Vivek, when Vivek started in the spring... You know, he was Mr. High-Tech Entrepreneur. I'm going to analyze things. I'm going to get... And he quickly went down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories. How did that happen? Well, every event he did, he read the room. And he adjusted his policy positions based on the room. And eventually, he got to the point where he was going down, oh, this is what Republicans believe? Okay, let me go and take that to 11. And, you know, he wound up in this weird rabbit hole. Trump does that, but not quite um, more organically and naturally. He doesn't sort of analyze it. Vivek was sort of like a computer, you know, turning his head, trying to figure out what Republicans like. And he's like AI bot Republican, <laughs> AI right. Trump. And, and he was, so he's feeding policy stuff into this like AI calculator in his head. Whereas Trump was just, sort of, you know, riffing on the vibe in the room. And <laughs> you know, it's a little bit different. So, you know, he does that. He adjusts on the fly and he winds up, you know, um, getting all the adoration and affection that you would expect if you're, you know, a stand-up comic or an improv actor or somebody else doing the same thing. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, 
a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Something I've sort of heard from people, um, you know, just talking generally about this race that like, actually, if DeSantis did better in this race, it would probably benefit Nikki Haley, right? Because those voters would most likely come from Donald Trump. Um, But it seems like he's just ignoring... He's ignoring New Hampshire altogether. I don't know. If he comes in 5%, that's going to be a brutal story for him. Then he moves on to South Carolina. I mean, they say he's going to keep going. How does one do that? I don't know. I haven't figured out the math on that campaign, but he, but he's here um, in town, uh, in, in state campaigning this weekend. So he's making an effort to bump those numbers up. You know, the interesting thing, though, about the primaries, you know, hopefully... Uh, I, I just wanted to get this point out because I think it's different. I, you don't normally see it work this way. Um, normally, Iowa influences New Hampshire. This year, New Hampshire influenced Iowa. Nikki Haley's surgeon in New Hampshire sent her surging in Iowa. It worked in reverse, which is really kind of unusual. And I just thought that was worth pointing out. Um, and so, you know, it hurt DeSantis there and it weakened him further here. So it's a it's a very because they didn't want to be seen as picking a loser. I'm guessing. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think if you're anti-Trump, if you're a Republican who doesn't want to vote for Trump, and you're going, um, you know, eight months ago that looked like your best bet was DeSantis, and now if you look at the calculation, I mean, you look at the enthusiasm numbers, Nikki Haley's support. There's a lot of people who are making an intellectual calculation. I'm supporting her because she's got the best chance of beating Trump, not because I'm emotionally engaged with her. And I think those people uh, would have been with DeSantis uh, if he had had those numbers. Can you explain to the listeners what makes the primary in New Hampshire so unique? The fact that Democrats months ago could have registered as Republicans, right? But only 3,000 did. Yeah, so it's an open primary. So you get, um, if you're registered independent in New Hampshire, which is the largest voting bloc in New Hampshire, you can vote. What percentage of the state is that? Um, I forget the exact breakdown. Um, actually, I haven't looked at the exact breakdown right now, but it's uh, it's the largest. It's a little more than a third, I think, would be the way to look okay. at it. And so, you know, Republicans and Democrats are, you know, also both about a third, but a little less. And so, and those fluctuate election to election. Um, but if you're registered undeclared, you can vote in either party's primary. Um, and all you, what you do, it's weirdly funny in New Hampshire, when you go in and you're registered undeclared, you have to go in and uh, check the uh, which one you want. So you get the Republican ballot or the Democratic ballot. And legally, technically, you are a member of that party for the five minutes that you're in the voting booth filling that out. When you come out of the booth, you have to return to another booth or another table and re-register as undeclared. And if you don't, then you're in the party who that you just voted in. So it's a little bit of a quirk. But you can... You can vote in either one. And so that's why another reason why Haley's doing so well here is because a lot of those Republicans who left the party over the last 20 years are, 
you know, especially in the last 10 years. And they're going, OK, I'm not MAGA. I'm not that kind of Republican anymore. I'm an old 90s Republican or 80s Republican. Um, you know, they typically pull a Republican ballot. But then you're getting overlap with the portion of moderates who are actually or um, unaffiliated who are actually moderate. You know, those who aren't necessarily Republican, who really think of themselves as swing voters, you know, that's a pretty small slice of the un undeclareds, but she's pulling a pretty large chunk of that from what I can tell. Okay. Are they are they difficult to poll, these people? I mean, yes, because you don't drill down. You, they, they're just listed as undeclared. So when you uh, poll them and they say they're un undeclared or independent voter, you don't know if they're an independent voter who has always voted in the Republican primary um, or if they're a, a really a swing voter who's never voted, you know, they actually vote one way or the other. But we know we have a lot of those. Swing voters are real in New Hampshire. Whether you think they are in the rest of the country, they are real here. Um, you know, the last election, there were quite a few people with uh, Governor Chris Sununu signs in their yard and Maggie Hassan signs in their yard, right? You see Sununu Biden signs. Um, and that's Right, just, and your two senators are Democrats. Yeah, and, and that's just the most recent and example. And you voted for and Biden. Biden. By how many points was it last time in 2020? Yeah, I don't remember uh, the exact percentage, but yeah, we, New Hampshire has in the primary twice uh, picked Trump and in the general election twice picked his opponent. Yeah. Interesting state. Yeah, it's quirky. It is quirky. So do you think Trump's hits on... Haley for wanting to, you know, and not end Social Security, but that's essentially what he's attacking her for or going after Medicare. Do you think that actually has impact on independent voters and will possibly sway them away from her? Well, I mean, they clearly think so, because at my house, I've already received a whole bunch of mailers attacking her on that. And DeSantis yeah. is attacking her on that, too. Um, probably. I mean, demagoguing Social Security is a time-tested effective campaign strategy on both sides of the aisle. So yeah, it'll probably hurt um, because people don't necessarily, they're not going to go online and read her policy papers, you know? So they don't understand that uh, uh, if you don't do anything to Social Security right now, you're going to get a benefit cut, you know? Um, so yeah, probably have some effect. You know what? I'm going to look at the weather really quick because why not? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Monday, will it matter if the weather sucks? Let's see, Monday. No, it's going to be fine. 36 Tuesday. degrees. That's like breezy and warm, balmy. It should, be, it should be nice. Um, I, we've had a very mild warm winter here. I expect the turnout will be not too affected by the weather. Um, but here's the interesting question. Like, is it going to be huge turnout? Uh, maybe not, because how excited, if you're, if you look at the latest couple of polls and Trump's at around 50% now and you're um, not excited about voting for Trump, there's a lot of people who might go, why bother? And if you are excited for voting for Trump and you look at that and you think, oh, he's 15 points ahead, why bother? So I don't know if one of those, if that enthusiasm is going to cancel out the weather or or not. We'll have to see. But I I don't think I'd expect record turnout. Okay. Interesting. Any last impressions, thoughts, anything you think people should understand about next week, next Tuesday, the Democratic, I'm sorry, scratch that, sorry, next Tuesday, the Republican primary in New Hampshire? Well, I mean, I think you just stumbled onto the point that we didn't get on, which is uh, New Hampshire has a primary for the, both Republicans and the Democrats. Uh, we will always have a primary because it's state law that we have the primary. And the DNC has not sanctioned our primary. So 
Uh, Biden is not running in it. And we, it's really weird. So Biden's not here. He's not campaigning. He's not running the primary. Marianne Williamson and Dean Phillips are. So they're here. They're campaigning a lot. I've had Dean Phillips on my show several times. He's like really um, smart and policy savvy. And he makes a strong intellectual case. And even though Biden's officially not campaigning here, they've sent eight or nine cabinet members here in the last month. And the governor of Massachusetts and now the mayor of Boston are all coming up to um to not campaign for Joe Biden, wink, wink, but to encourage everybody to write Joe Biden's name in on the ballot. So they are trying to very clearly prevent those dim-leaning independents from voting for Haley. That's what they're doing. They are trying to keep them in the Democratic primary and keep them voting for Joe Biden. You have to write Joe Biden's name in. He's not on the ballot. And so there's a concerted effort among Democrats to keep their uh, unaffiliated voters in the Democratic primary to hurt Haley. And I think they want Trump to be the guy that they run up against. They want Trump to be the nominee. Um, That's what that tells me. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that's a leap either. No, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty clear what they're doing. And so at one time they're saying Trump is an existential threat to democracy. Um, He has to be stopped at all costs. And quietly on the side, they're doing everything they can to make sure he gets the nomination. So that's politics for you. Thanks, Drew. That is politics for you. I've never for a second thought that the White House didn't want to run against Trump. Oh, that, that's what they want more than anything else. Yeah. Well, thanks, Sarah. This has been fun. Oh, my gosh. You're amazing. I would love to have you back on Monday, if possible. But I know it's probably be a crazy day for you. But we'll see what see if we can get you. Get, your, get on your dance card. Sure, you'll be in high demand. (laughs) (laughs) That was another episode of Somebody's Gotta Win. I want to thank my producers, Devin Baroldi and Connor Nevins. If you like this show, please subscribe, rate it, and share it with your friends. If you like my reporting, please go to puck.news and sign up for my newsletter, The Best and the Brightest. Use the discount code Tara20. I'll be back next Tuesday after the New Hampshire primary for a roundup on the results. See you then. 